want you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Matthew chapter 26. You know, Resurrection Sunday is coming up, and um, we need to uh, kind of cover some scriptures leading up to that, that event. And uh, it's really the whole thing about what Easter is based upon. Did Christ come back from the dead? Yes, he did. And he was brutally murdered. He was murdered because he had committed no crime. People had done him wrong. The Bible says, by wicked hands they have taken and slain the innocent one. So here we are in the book of Matthew in chapter 26. As you know, Judas is going to betray the Lord. Judas is going to betray him. But he does it for a price. If you look there in Matthew 26, look at verse 14. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went unto the chief priest. Said unto them, What will you give me? What's the value? If I turn him over to you, what are you going to give me? And so they agreed for 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver in verse 15. So in verse 16, And from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, sought an opportunity to betray him. Do you think that Jesus already knew in advance that Judas was going to do what he did? He knew it. And even in the book of John chapter 6, way before the crucifixion, he says, one of you will betray me. And he was talking about Judas. And he says, not all of you are right. He knew that. So he says on in verse 21, And as they did eat, he said, Verily I say to you, that one of you shall betray me. And he says in verse 22, And they were exceeding sorrowful, and began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? He answered and said, He that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray me. The Son of Man goeth as it is written of him, but woe unto that man, by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. He has been good. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. Well, I guess we could say that about a lot of people. Have you ever thought it had been better if I'd have never been born? Well, the thing is, oh, we were born, but Judas made decisions. God did not make him make these decisions. Jesus couldn't say that if it wasn't a responsibility upon Judas and what he did. See, some people like to say, you know, the teaching of fatalism. Whatever will be, will be. In other words, God's got everything planned. It's totally fatalistic. Every decision you make, God determined that. And that is not true. God may know what you're going to do, but God didn't make you do it. And uh, so, otherwise, why hold me responsible for something he made me do? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. But you'll notice how many times it says he would be betrayed, betrayed, betrayed. And the Lord tells us this. It is what happened. And so in verse 25, Judas, which betrayed him, answered and says, Master, is it I? And he said unto him, Thou hast said. Now, they were all sitting there eating, and uh, Jesus says, One of you is going to betray me. So then the Bible says, and it mentions this more so in the book of uh, Mark, also in the book of uh, John, uh, that he went out and says, Whatsoever thou doest, you know, do quickly. And immediately he went out, and he did. Then I believe they had what we call the Lord's Supper. 
And so only the 11 were there at that time. They were all there to start with. They ate. Then afterwards, then he says, let this bread represent, and so forth. And so you get into that, and that's in verse 26 down there to verse 29. But another word I want you to see there in verse 29, where he says, But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine, till that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Now there's a good possibility that word new could be referring to new wine. New wine is not fermented. And therefore, I don't believe that this is what they were doing. But anyway, now we look there in verse 30. Some people say, you know, the Bible doesn't say that Jesus ever sung. Well, it says right here in verse 30, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Wouldn't you have loved to heard how Jesus sings? I'd love to have heard him. I wonder what kind of a voice he had. I mean, he ought to have the most beautiful voice in the whole world. He had a perfect voice. He could have perfect pitch. And uh, I thought, I'd love to have heard that. But anyway, the Bible doesn't spend too much time telling us too much about it. One line, that was it. Now in verse 31, he says, Then said Jesus unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. All ye shall be offended because of me. And uh, do you think Christians are offended because of Christ today? We are easily offended. It's so easy for us to be offended. We wear sometimes our feelings all over us. And to dare anybody say anything that hurts my feeling. You know, that's what's all this political correctness. And you can't say this. You can't say that. And don't say these words because that offends people. Well, buddy, toughen up. And what they're doing is taking away the rights of everybody. You can't say. You can't say. You can't. Well, that's offensive. Well, big deal. Live with it. Get a grip. Get a life. Why take away my right to say something? Today, they got to try. Well, that's a hate crime. That's hate. That's hate. That's hate. Don't tell me what to love and don't tell me what to hate. If you want to hate somebody, hate them. It doesn't make it right. But don't pass a law saying you can't hate somebody. Well, that was a hate crime. Who cares if it was a hate crime? If it's a crime, it's a crime. And they're getting down into your motives of why you did what you did. It's, it's foolishness. The Bible doesn't, you don't see the Bible talking about stuff that they talk about today. We live in a wicked world. And people are afraid to say anything because it offends somebody. And you can't even correct somebody because that's so offensive. And regardless, never say anything about government. Because, how oh, that really offends people. And you'd be surprised how many people can love me because of my stand on the gospel, but if I say something about, you know, politics. <gasps> and I've had people say, well, I didn't come to church to hear politics. Well, that's all that's in the Bible. Religion and politics. Religion deals with what you think, and politics is how you live. You've got a role of government. You either have governments setting rules and legislature making laws and Everything affects our life. And so there's the Word of God that affects our life. That's why we call it the, the Bible is our sole authority for faith and practice. What we believe, how we live. Religion, politics. And so it because, well, that offends people. Do you think Jesus offended people? Did he offend those in politics? Yes, he did. And believe it or not, even politics offended him. 
But look what he says here in verse 31. All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. So he's telling them, I am the shepherd. I am going to be smitten. I will rise again, and I'll go before you. And everything that he said, it happened. And so Jesus Christ knew what was going to take place. But now Peter, in verse 33... Answer said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. It will never happen. I'll never be offended. How'd he do? It, it, pretty bad, huh? How many times did Peter deny the Lord before the cock crew that morning? Three times. And the Lord told him that in verse 34. Verily I say unto thee, that this night before the cock crow shall deny me thrice. Three times. And he says in verse 35, Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise also said all the disciples. Remember, all the disciples said it, but it sure brings it out the fact Peter was the ringleader. And he was always one putting his foot in his mouth, saying things before he actually thought. And he got rebuked for that on a number of occasions. So anyway, as you go through here, you, you know the story, and it says it over again. But Jesus says something to his disciples that was so important. See there in verse 36. Then cometh Jesus with them into a place called Gethsemane. Said unto the disciples, sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. I want you to sit here, and I'm going to go over there and pray. But he wanted them to pray for me. In verse 37. He took with him Peter and two sons of Zebedee, James and John, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then said he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tear ye here, and watch with me. Watch with me. Pray for me. Now, isn't it something that here's Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh. He said, would, would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? And sometimes you wouldn't know who needs prayer. One time there was this guy who was the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, Dr. Criswell. Anybody ever heard of him? Dr. Criswell. He was pastor of the First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas. I went there one day with my wife. We'd come out of, on a trip and come out of Mexico, and we came up uh, through Texas there. And so I said, I want to go and see this church I heard so much about. I want to hear this man. He was a president of one of the biggest Baptist churches. And I noticed on the offering boards where they had taken in that Sunday a million dollars in offerings. And it was a huge church. And they fed everybody there on a Wednesday night. You didn't pay anything. Everybody was fed. Come on Wednesday night. Good meal too. And so I said, honey, after the service, I have got to go see Dr. Criswell. So after it was over with, I boogied back to his office, and um, his secretary told me, he says, uh, may I help you? I says, I'd like to see Dr. Criswell. She says, I'm sorry. He's a very busy man. He doesn't have any time. I said, ma'am, I would appreciate it. I- I'm a preacher. I'm just traveling through, and I would love to just see him just for a minute. I just, if he could just have him just to pray for me. Let me check. So she checked. Come on in. So I knew that I didn't have much time and I just wanted him to, to pray for me because this is a, you know, a big, mighty man. I wanted him. So 
If I can get godly people to pray for me, I'll do it in a minute. I went into his office, and he looked up at me, and he says, um, may I help you? I, I said, yes, I just wanted to stop by and see you. He says, uh, where, where are you from? I says, Colorado. And uh, he said, what, what do you do? He said, I'm, I said, I'm, I'm a preacher. And uh, he looked at me, and he had his hands on the desk. And he looked up at me, and he says, oh, son. He says, the ministry is so, so heavy. He says, this church, it is so it is so big. I've got so many people. He says, I am just weighted down. He says, the cares of this ministry and all these people. And he was an old man. And he says, I, I am so weary. I am so tired. He says, they're just so much. And he got down off of his seat. He got on his knees. He says, son, would you come over here? Would you have prayer for me? So I walked over there and I put my hand on his shoulders and I had prayer for Dr. Criswell. I went in there for him to have prayer for me because of all the pressure that I had. And I thought, when I get his age, I won't have that pressure. You know, it's going to be light. And he says, pray for me. <laughs> I walked out of there. I had been so humbled. I couldn't believe it. But it doesn't matter who it is. Everybody needs prayer. Everybody in this room, you need prayer. So always request people, pray for me, pray for me. When me and Betty was over there and Bob and India, where some things happened, we put out an alert bullet, pray for us. And I believe that a lot of people did pray for us. And so always pray. But he says he was nigh unto death. I mean, the pressure that was up on Jesus. We don't always know all the pressure that comes upon somebody. And you don't understand sometimes there's, there's a spirit world that we can't see. There's the devil and his little demons. And they cannot possess our bodies, but they can't oppress us by the thoughts and the weight of pressures in this world. And they can affect us. And so you don't know at what point somebody is under a heavy oppression and need prayer. So anyway, he prays to the Lord, and then he comes back in verse 40, and cometh unto the disciples, and findeth them what? Findeth them asleep. Verse 40. And said unto Peter, uh, What could you not watch with me one hour? You couldn't wait. You couldn't pray for me one hour? In verse 41. Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Ah. Peter ought to know a little bit about that. He was very quick to say, I will not be offended. Can't happen. I'll never forsake you. I'll never deny you. We know if Peter had prayed that night like the Lord wanted him to, he might have stayed strong spiritually, huh? And maybe he wouldn't have denied the Lord. Because that very time, everything happened just like Jesus had told him. Your personal strength could be because you prayed for somebody else to be strong. Did you know when you ask God to help somebody else to be strong, you know in your mind you need to be strong too? It's hard to pray for somebody else and not in your mind be thinking, that could be me, that could be my problem, that could, maybe there's something I need to be watched for here. And it, it alerts yourself. So Peter had some lessons to learn. Anyway, you go down through here and you see where it says again in verse 45. Then cometh he to his disciples and said unto them, Sleep on now.
Take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. You see that word betray, betray, betray in a lot of places. But isn't it in reality the disciples who denied the Lord also betrayed the Lord in his moment of need? Pray for me. They denied the Lord. Those prayers that they could have prayed for him. I remember there was a man that um, he was high up in the Lord's work. He lost his whole ministry. He messed up his life. One day I saw him and I told him, I says, you know, I owe you an apology. I never prayed for you. I took you for granted. I never prayed for you. He fell and he fell miserably. And he took a lot of people with him. Took a whole ministry with him. And I said, I never prayed for you. I prayed for other people and other leaders, but I never prayed for you. And it's probably true that if we had prayed for people more, we just don't understand how prayer works or the value of it. And yet if we would do that, you'd be surprised what could happen. If everybody in this church prayed for everybody in this church, and we prayed that we could pack the doors with lost people coming in here, do you believe it could happen if we prayed more? That we would have all the money we needed to do everything that we need to do in this ministry and no question about it. Like this one preacher, he told the people, he said, I got some good news and bad news. You know, he says, you know that money we needed for that new building project? He says, we finally got all the money we need for it. He says, the bad news, it's still in your pocket. Well, God has supplied all of our needs. Sometimes we just don't ask him to do it and to give it. He says, you have not because you, you ask not. It's not that he couldn't have done it and wouldn't have done it, but you didn't ask. God does not force his will upon us. We have choices that we can make. And you'd be surprised how many things we lose out on because we just didn't pray. Now look in verse 47. While he was yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came in with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now, it, he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whosoever I shall kiss, that same is he, hold him fast. Because it's going to be at nighttime. They may not be seen. They came, they had lighted torches and so forth. But he's going to say, now the one that I kissed, that's the one. So he betrayed him with a kiss. In verse 49, and forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. Behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Anybody got a clue who that was? That was Peter. He cut off the guy's ear. Then said they unto him, Jesus said unto him, Put up again thy sword into its place. For all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Uh, do you know what he did? He got picked up the ear and put it back on his head. Now, would you like to arrest the man that could take an ear that's been cut off and put it back? Yeah, he got power that I don't have. I'd be very slow and careful of doing something to a guy that got power that I don't have. Anyway, in verse 53, he says, Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father? 
And he shall presently give me more than 12 leagues of angels. This is where that song comes from. 10,000, he could have called 10,000 angels. Well, this is where that verse comes from. Verse 54, but how then shall the scripture be fulfilled? That thus it must be. But if I was to ask God to intervene to keep me from being taken, then how is the scripture going to be fulfilled? This has to take place and God would not intervene. God had to let the people do what Scripture says, this is what they're going to do. So sometimes, see, God doesn't stop the people from doing, and he could have altered it. He could have changed it. But it would have defied the Scriptures, and the Old Testament Scriptures must be fulfilled because the Bible says when Jesus came, he would fulfill all prophecy. And he does. See there in verse 55? In the same hour, said Jesus to the multitudes, Are you come out as against a thief with swords and staves? For to take me, I sat daily with you teaching in the temple, and you laid no hand on me. But all this was done that the scripture of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. They all did. Not just Peter denied him. They all forsook him. They all fled. And he says there in verse 57, And they that had laid hold on Jesus led him away to Caiaphas the high priest. So you know now, this is going to take place early that evening when they got a hold of him, but it was early in the morning. Jesus is brought before Caiaphas, and Caiaphas is the high priest of the Sanhedrin, and he's condemned and he's mocked. They made fun of him. And then you find out that the Sanhedrin, well, they, they took Jesus and they took him to Pilate. Well, Pilate examined him and said, there's nothing wrong that I can see that's worthy of death. So Pilate, what did he do? Well, he sent him to Herod. And Herod and Pilate didn't like each other, but now they have a common denominator. They agreed with each other. They became friends for a night. And so Herod sent him back to the Pilate. And you know, all these things were happening. And so then Jesus is crowned with thorns and he's mocked. Then you have the suicide of Judas. And then... He was led forth to be crucified. But notice what he says up there in verse 58. But Peter followed him afar off from the high priest's palace, went in and sat with the servants. You see those last few words? To see the end. Coming to the end. See what's going to happen. And when he saw the coming to the end. Now remember, this is the fearless one. This is the old brave one. One that will not be offended. One that I'll never forsake you. And I'll, well, he had the talking part done. And then, so what were they trying to do? Find some witnesses against Jesus. They had to have a reason to bring him to Pilate so that Pilate would condemn him. Well, now they've tried to find some witnesses. But they couldn't find anybody. Because nobody could come up with any real reasons. Finally, two guys came up and says, I heard him say. But what he said wasn't a lie. It was the truth. Jesus had made the statement in John chapter 2, destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. And he also claimed to be the Son of God. So you notice down here in verse 61, and they said, these two false witnesses, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to bring it in three days. Well, he was talking about his body. They thought he was talking about the temple there. They said it took 46 years in building this temple. Well, Jesus was talking about his body. But what Jesus said was the truth. 
So what they were testifying to was the truth, but they were talking about the temple that was standing, and Jesus was talking about his body that was the temple. Anyway, in verse 62, And the high priest arose and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witnesses against thee? But notice in verse 62, But Jesus held his peace. Now, these, Jesus holding his peace and then saying, Remember, as it says in the book of uh, Isaiah 53, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. He opened not his mouth. That means in his defense. He didn't try to defend himself. When they would say something, he said, you said it. Thou saith it. But he never came out with something in defense of himself. So he says here in verse 63, Jesus held his peace, and the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Tell us, are you the Christ? Point blank. Mince no words. Boom, right between the eyes. Good question. Art thou the Christ, the Son of God? And Jesus said unto him, That thou hast said. Nevertheless, I say unto you. In other words, you, what you said. You, you just said it. That's what you said. He didn't deny it. Then he says also, Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then it says in verse 65, the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He hath spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now ye have heard his blasphemy. Jesus Christ claimed to be the Son of God. Point blank. And they said, that's blasphemy. So they have reasons now because under the law he was to be killed. You could kill him for that. So... 66, what think ye? They answered and says, he is guilty of death. Then they spit in his face, buffeted him, and others smote him with the palms of their hands. Now isn't that something? Here's the God who created the heavens and the earth, and his creation is treating the creator like this. This is the God of, that made the heavens and the earth and all the people, and look how people were treating the Son of God. 